Hello, hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today we have Brendan from Wayfair. Thanks so much for joining today, Brendan. Of course, Alexis. Thanks for having me. Would you mind giving the audience a little bit of an intro? Uh, of course. So I have been uh, in the SEO industry since 2012. Um, I got started, I had always been interested in marketing and then kind of found some SEO people on Twitter. And from there, it just kind of catapulted into like being something I was really interested in. Started leaning in like right after I, I quickly found it, teaching it to myself and, and trying to learn from others in the industry. And so then uh, from there, I kind of looked at a few places to, to start my SEO career and was super fortunate enough to end up at Sear Interactive. Spent a little over a year there um, and then ended up moving back to Boston to work for another agency called Co-Marketing. Did that for about a year and then um, stumbled across uh, an in-house opportunity here at Wayfair. And I've been here for just over three and a half years. I really enjoy like all aspects of SEO from on-page to off-page to technical. So I really just look at Wayfair as my platform to do SEO and continue to build my skills and share them with uh, people along the way. Awesome. Thanks so much. So this was so action-packed. First of all, rep in Pennsylvania. <laughs> yes. PA people just <laughs> on a phone chat. And <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, so you've been working in SEO since 2012. And um, one of the things that comes to mind is what are some of the bigger changes that you've seen? Uh, you know, I think definitely one of them early, early on in that time frame was Hummingbird, right? And, and Google interpreting um, synonyms and, and search queries uh, across a variety of different variations. So I'd say that that is one mm -hmm. that started right away. Yeah. And then SERP features and basically, right, taking clicks, mm -hmm. sometimes taking clicks away from SEO. Like when I first started, um, you know, the knowledge graph was starting mm -hmm. to appear, but it was like, oh, that won't come for my industry. Like, oh, that that won't come like for e-commerce or something. And like, sure enough, like, you know, it's 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 in about every vertical now. So I'd say that's definitely a key, key a theme. Definitely, no. Yeah, we can see it in the local space. Like you said, knowledge graph, so any sort of informational query. Um, even like the hotel space has such interesting things with like transactional type queries being taken. So that's so interesting that the whole entire landscape is essentially changing. Exactly. So, okay. So one of the other things you mentioned in your intro, I know I'm going off a little bit off track, okay. but I, you just mentioned so many things and I thought they were all really <laughs> exciting. So. <laughs> so you mentioned you taught yourself and I feel like that's something that a lot of SEOs face, whether regardless of whether they work in-house or an agency or they own their own agency or consulting firm. So what are one of the questions I get asked a lot, and I'm sure you get asked this a lot too, is what resources do you think are some of the best? Is there any way that you feel is most efficient to learn the craft? Yeah. Having been through that process. Yeah. I mean, I had a few key things. Um, you know, first is I like immersed myself in the people and the companies that do it well. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, like, like Sear, Moz, um, you know, mm -hmm. were some of the first two distilled and, and the people that work there. So like, yep. I really immersed myself. I remember, and, and one of the ways I did was like, I think one of Rand's decks, I like printed out and, and just like immersed myself in that. So, you know, it's one thing to like be yeah. a passive follower, but like I really immersed mm -hmm. myself there. 
mm-hmm. then I I made my own site and just started putting out some content to try to get it to rank. So that was kind of my way to action on it. Nice. So experimenting on like a totally different scale. Exactly. And I will give you a third, which was, I think, I believe most people hit this one too, which is like, you get, you get the foundation down and you do a little bit, but you're like, I still want to be surrounded by people who actually know what's going on. Um, Right. You just want some validation. Yeah. So, so I was, you know, um, lucky enough to, to take a course that just kind of, touched on it was like 20 courses um it touched on all facets of seo so i just got exposure to things like information architecture internal linking everything so Mm -hmm. so that was super helpful it was good validation to know i was on the right track nice and so is that like at a local college or something along those lines or was that more of like an online course yeah so it was actually online and it was ending like right when my um semester was starting so it like overlapped with school a little bit which was funny but uh yeah it was online i'm forgetting the name of it uh it was like instant e-training um, was the name Instant of the brand. Training. I don't know if they're still nice. around today, but I um, highly recommend it. Or, I mean, there's probably less um, costly options out there, of course. Nice. I know Rand has one on like Skillshare or something like that. So kind of like looking up online courses and just getting exposure. I really like that idea. And of course, active learning and making a site. This is another question that I get a lot too. Hmm. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. Do you think an SEO needs to understand how HTML, CSS, and JavaScript work and be a good. Because like, there's like two sides of it. There's like the understanding how websites work and then understanding programming. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on both of those? I actually, you, you, the first time I came across you in the industry was your JavaScript post on Moz. Oh my God, thank um, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I, I remember reading that, you know, two things were super valuable, the um, just the JavaScript frameworks that are out there. So that was like a huge resource to help me get familiar with those. Um, mm. And then at the time we had a, um, someone within the company launch like a URL, a feature that had a URL fragment. So, so your article was super helpful because there's a point in there where you talk about um, fragments and... and you know, the, the downside to them. So that's my intro to saying, you know, I think HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, like, are very important to be able to recognize. Um, I, I don't know. I think, you know, being able to write those is up for debate. Certainly HTML, like, yeah, you should be able to, definitely. but um, but definitely recognize them on um, on pages, in source codes, and in, DOM, in the DOM um, mm-hmm. is super important. Yeah, I love that idea of having like almost like a little bit of understanding so you understand what's going on, you have a general sense, and you're able to therefore communicate more efficiently with developers, at least at like a minimal level. Mm -hmm. Um, Because otherwise, it's going to be way more challenging when you're trying to get across your point or what you actually need. Exactly, exactly. So I love that. Yeah, and thanks for mentioning my article. It's so interesting because when I, I remember before I started writing that article that escaped fragments had been deprecated for probably about a year or two at that point. And that was so fascinating because, you know, like you never, we never heard about it in our training because it was always like, oh, well, don't use this or don't use that. But it was like one of those solutions that was out there that, you know, I mean, at this point now they're, Google's just said they're not going to crawl it and they'll just crawl like the pretty version of the URL. Mm -hmm. But, you know, having those elements that 
understanding like the history of that type of thing and understanding the history of SEO, I think sometimes can be pretty valuable. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting how, you know, engineers don't immerse themselves in what Google's putting out there. So while it seems obvious to us, you know, other folks writing this code don't take this information in like we do. That's so true. I feel like SEO, and I don't know if you agree with this, but SEO and tech and development, there's they grow at such a rapid pace that sometimes it's really hard to keep up with. So what are some of the ways that like you're able to keep up with what's going on in the industry so that we can help out our developers? I mean, you know, some of the standard ways are just staying up on on Twitter and following the right people for sure. You know, that's that's kind of table stakes. You know, I think having having people around you that that you can spitball and, and bring ideas to is also super important. And I think that that takes time to sometimes build out. Like if you're maybe you just you're an SEO and you just switch teams, like it's going to take a little while to get there. But I've had a lot of fun being at Wayfair for a little more than three and a half years here and just building chemistry with people where we can talk about if we decide to lazy load this feature, will that impact our rankings? And you can really kind of break it out and, and make the call on, on that decision together, I think is another way to just stay up on on what's going on and different ideas you have. I love this idea too, because you're almost touching on this idea of building a culture of learning mm. and like a culture of passion. Because to some extent, like you almost have to hire people that are really interested and really passionate about a certain topic. But I love this idea of having a group that shares information. And I know that you've obviously experienced an agency world and we kind of get that automatically. But when you have a team like Wayfair, I'm, I'm assuming you guys are like probably, a, you're a smaller part of a larger marketing team. Yes, exactly. Um, so how do you guys flourish and um, flourish that type of learning or encourage that and have that develop that chemistry? Is it just automatic or is it, does it, is there something that, as a manager that people can do out there? Yeah, I mean, I I think it, it does, definitely doesn't happen automatically, uh, for sure. You know, and maybe unless, like, you know, the chemistry is really firing. <laughs> um, Such a controversial opinion. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you have to try to find ways to foster it. And, um, you know, one of the things that I, I picked up at SEER that, that they did, which was awesome, was, like, a Friday meeting where the team like the format was before the meeting post what you want to talk about post how long you want to talk about it and and it just created like a lot of energy and it was a lot of fun and so like I've created something similar here where you know people just post in slack what what they want to talk about mm -hmm. before coming to like a stand-up and then we just dive into those topics so that's like a specific way that we've definitely built up the um the chemistry and then i think outside of seo like we've been doing things like seo office hours for certain parts of our company that are really needed most so that's kind of a way we've evangelized seo throughout the company oh nice so anyone's welcome to those office hours in this case it's like us um, merchandising is a, is a huge team that's making changes um that that impact seo so we yep. it's specifically that team that's so funny because one of the things that Tessa mentioned from Dick's Sporting Goods and um, Eric also from areas that merchandising is the one who you have to get in with. <laughs> yeah. So funny. <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't know. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. 
No, you go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, I've always wondered like what merch is like in other e-commerce sites. I mean, ours ours is a between like a one fifty to two hundred person department, so it's a it's a huge, massive, yeah, huge department. Everyone's verticalized in different categories, so we're we're bigger than ten, but like there's ten of us responsible for interacting with them, and so like ten to to one fifty, like that's a <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> You're like, not even teachers are expected to do that much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. And one of the things you mentioned, the Friday meetings, we actually started that in Pittsburgh probably huh. about a year and a half ago. We call it SEO Lab. And we do, usually we have either somebody comes with news or something like that. I think we could probably do a little bit more preparing. Um, but one of the things that we love in Pittsburgh is doing SEO Jeopardy. There's like kind of this janky tool that you can find online if you look up Make Your Own Jeopardy. And so sometimes people will go in and make their own Jeopardy versions and then we'll play Jeopardy and it's always really fun. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. Get to learn a little bit of competition. <laughs> yeah, and, and going off that, the only other ad I would say in terms of like fostering that culture is like, you know, everyone has to be willing to listen to everyone else and like hear what they're saying and understand and ask follow up questions. And, um, you know, that's something that I think sometimes is taken for granted, like not everyone fully, fully does that. So I think doing that Mm -hmm. can help create a good culture. Yeah, I love when people start trainings, and you can hear the trainer say things like, Oh, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Because Mm. A lot of times I think people are really intimidated to ask something, but they'll never learn unless they get something wrong or they ask or they try to figure something out themselves. So true. Awesome. So you also mentioned um, you have agency experience combined with in-house. What is that? What was that transition like? Do you feel like it was very smooth? Um, Do you think there's anything that you'd recommend? Any differences that you notice between in-house versus agency life? Got it. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of questions packed into one. What is it like in house? <laughs> <laughs> because I I went from agency to to in house ecom at at a little bit more of like a lower level per se. Um, you know the the transition was was relatively seamless um, when I got here. Right, I was. I was writing content, doing keyword research, working with clients, aka merchandisers, and identifying and diagnosing technical SEO problems. Like a lot of the same things, like seamlessly transitions, which is definitely one of the reasons why I was able to hit the ground running. You know, and I th- I'd say the one difference was like my access to engineers was they were right at my fingertips, right? So they're, they're a part of our team. So finding ways to interact with them and, and kind of build credibility with them was probably one of the main differences. And then I'd say if you're, if you're going from agency to e-com at a higher level, right, it's super cross-functional. And so you're, you're going to have to be comfortable like putting yourself out there, getting in front of teams that are making changes that impact SEO. And, and you're going to have to build relationships and, and really um, make a case for SEO. So you mentioned you had to build credibility with engineers. How did you do that? How did you approach that process? Brought in donuts every Tuesday. <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say I... I when I, when I identified technical SEO problems, I said, mm-hmm. you know, I brought them to, to engineers and, and kind of made sure 
said, oh, like, what are you seeing? This is what I'm seeing, kind of what are your thoughts? And and how would you mm-hmm. look at this problem? Um, specifically, like when we're writing engineering tickets, uh, one of the fr- things I did right away is because I, I can kind of, I kind of sense like, if you, if as an SEO you put in an, an unscoped or unclarif like a very unclear um, SEO ticket, that's kind of an easy way to to um, to not uh, end up on an engineer's good side. So I was just like mm-hmm. from the start, like before even hitting publish on this ticket, I would kind of go to them and say, um, you know, I'm seeing a bunch of broken links across this page template. Like, how would you go about fixing this, or what? details do you want in the ticket to fix this and and just incorporating their feedback into the ticket just helped build credibility definitely i love that idea of like giving some cognitive dissonance almost (laughs) i don't know if you've (laughs) ever heard of those studies where basically they went around to all these different neighborhoods and the first time they asked the question do you like giving to charity or something like that do you believe that giving to charity is good or something along those lines, or do you usually give to charity? And then a week later, they went around again and basically saw whether or not people donated. And if you had, if you were at one of the houses where they'd asked that question, you had agreed, you were way more likely to actually give money. Yeah, it's actually, there's a a book that actually my boss made me read, which I thought was very funny, that he was like, oh, this is like the best book. But one of the things that it said in it was basically, if, if you have a boss that's kind of unagreeable, which is, this is why it's so funny that my boss gave this to me. <laughs> if you have a boss that's unagreeable or kind of like automatically defensive or something along those lines, if you ask them that morning, like, hey, don't you think it's nice when people are just flexible and just like, listen, or something along those lines, and they agree, they're like, yeah, totally. Later in the day, they'll be more apt to listen to you. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're tired? or <laughs> no, no, no. Well, because like, because they, they affirmed something about themselves and we, once we say something about ourselves, we have, I guess, or at least this is the idea of it, that we have a harder time going against it. So if, if I agree that I'm a flexible person in the morning, then by the evening, if I'm not acting in a flexible way, I'm denying what I believe about myself. So it creates this cognitive dissonance that our brain like can't handle apparently. <laughs> Got it. So yeah, going to them beforehand and being like, oh yeah, like, do you agree that this is a problem? And they're like, yeah, we agree this is a problem. And then when you send it to them, they're like, yeah, it's totally a problem. So, and then of course the idea of clarity, I think that's such a great idea to make sure like you're including all the details and being specific and honoring their time too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I I, like, this is something I tell uh, my team a lot. I'm like, your time is insanely valuable. Everyone's time is. So just making sure we respect that. That's so beautiful. Okay, so you mentioned too that you guys are a team of like 15 going up against like about 150 to 200. So how do you deal with having multiple stakeholders? Oh, uh, good question. And definitely, you know, as as a role expands, you have more and more stakeholders. So um, (laughs) I I mean, I'd say one is, you know, um, always being approachable. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think if you're if you're less approachable, stakeholders are gonna go around you or, or not include you on things or not be completely mm-hmm. completely upfront. So I'd say that would be um, that would be a key part. And then you know, as as an SEO, if you get a lot, if you're at the point where you have like you know a boss to answer to, you know, between five and ten cross functional partners and some reports, like. 
Mm-hmm. You have, I don't know, I, I believe you have to triage. Like you, you might get hit with all of those people asking you something at once and it's physically impossible to answer, uh, yep. you know, from to 15 people at the same time. So yep. I think I, I'm always like triaging like, all right, what's, what came in first or what's most important? Um, yep. which actually, um, you're one of your decks. I saw you did, a, you did a few conferences last week. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. But the, Gosh, <laughs> just kidding. Keep going. <laughs> diagnosing technical SEO issues. I just thought it was an awesome deck and like just tying it oh, to this is you. like, right. Understand the problem and like the level of priority. Um, so when you have to answer to a lot of people, you just, you really have to understand the level of priority that each of those requests take. Is there anything that you found helps you prioritize those? Like, let's say you were attacked by like 50 requests or something like that. I mean, 50 is a lot. Let's say like really 10 high stake requests. How do you go about prioritizing those? Is it just best guess? What can you delegate? You know, that type of thing? Yeah, I'd say like a couple things. One is like a framework. So if, if the questions are repeated, like similar questions, we, we have mm-hmm. frameworks for like how to answer them. So if it might be, you know, we want to make this change that might deactivate a bunch of URLs on site, like will that impact, impact SEO? Just really templatizing the response so it can be super clear and fast as possible would be one and then kind of going off that is like i'm actually finding you know a lot of the same questions just keep coming up i'm sure this happens on the agency side as well like you get you start to get the same questions so so just documenting is super helpful i find so i like point point a lot of my questions to existing articles we've already created in-house definitely yeah so having those established best practices case studies that type of stuff that really works definitely do you find you get a lot of the same questions from clients coming from the same client we usually won't get the same or repeated questions but across the agency i think a lot of people are concerned with the same things like for instance Everyone wants to know what they can do for voice. So we have a voice best practices type of thing Got it. where if someone asks us for that, we understand like what are the best practices that one can do? Um, what is the level of the industry at? What is pretty much going on? So there's, there's those type of things. And then we also, so we do two things at Merkle. We have a set of best practices, which are then people go in and customize them specifically for their client. But we also for in terms of internal training, have these things that we call SOPs. Yeah, yeah, standard operating procedures. Yeah, standard operating procedures. Uh-huh. Yeah, where it's basically just like a list of things, like an itemized list of things that people can go through and do um, steps in the procedure so that they can become familiar. And um, I think they usually get updated on like a yearly basis or so, and that enables newer people to go in and follow that specific process. But it's a very, very time-consuming process, so it's broken up across about we have a probably about like a 50 to 70 person team mm-hmm. at Merkle so not all the work is lays in one account manager's hands but whenever something like that is done um, we try to roll it into what the client is doing and then pull that back into trying to normalize it so that people can accomplish a similar task got it yeah definitely but i love that idea of having an established framework having templated answers so that you can then modify them to to answer the correct request and You mentioned before that you treat your in-house merchandise as clients, basically. So it's almost similar to like, you're like an agency within an in-house company, which is kind of fun to think about. 
Yeah, yeah, totally, definitely. I don't know if it's because I came from agency, but that's definitely a way I viewed um, the team here from the start. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to do it. And I know that one of my clients actually has the same exact thing. They work for a big hospital and they have all the different hospitals as different clients. All the different business lines are different clients um, to them as well. So I think that I think it makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Okay, so I'll dive into some of the questions. I know I got a little bit off topic. (laughs) Um, But some of the things that um, we had planned to talk about, why do you think SEO is so important for an e-commerce business? Yeah, SEO is a way to reach high intent customers like super efficiently. And I think the power, so the power of, of SEO, it means like revenue is generated at very low ad cost. So it really increases customer acquisition. And so that's, I think, why it's super important. Like that said, I think one of the interesting things about e-commerce sites is a lot of them, Wayfair included, have diversified their marketing efforts, like similar to how one would, you know, diversify like financial investments, um, right? They're, They're doing a lot of different things. And so I remember like maybe a couple agency clients before I got here, you know, had north of. I don't know, 60, 70, 80% of traffic coming from SEO, while I think is like awesome for SEO and super impressive. You're putting a lot of eggs in one basket. So I think I think it's super important and super efficient, but also I think it's it's great that e-commerce sites are diversifying and, and using other channels as well. Yeah, definitely. And I love that analogy of finance and pulling it back because in some ways it's almost like the market. You have to make bets and hope that they work out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so do you think that e-commerce SEO is different from other forms of SEO or other verticals? Some of my thoughts are, are probably slightly biased to my experiences in agency and then here. I mean, I do think the scale is much larger, which means you have to kind of have a system or a systematized way of breaking down data. So in some of my agency experiences, like we were kind of maybe looking at a couple hundred keywords for a client, but when you get in-house, you can really go to the tens to hundreds of thousands. Um, Mm -hmm. And certainly that could vary at another agency, but I just had a lot more data in front of me. And so one of the like ways I've key lessons I learned in e-commerce is just like thinking in terms of page types, um, right? So there's different page types on the site that drive traffic. Some drive more than others. And all those page types have features that either are important SEO or not important SEO. So really understanding those and like living and breathing them is like super key to to being successful and driving more growth. And I'd say... Mm -hmm you know, having a, a product focused um, mindset, similar to the page types, kind of understanding them, you know, being product focused is, is super helpful for, you know, working with other engineers or working with other product managers within a, a large company. So you can start to get them making changes that help SEO. And then I would say a couple others, like link building is something that I believe in something that we continue to like see move the needle but i you know it it varies based off of the site you're on and so like i've had times on agency seo where i was doing like se uh link building for a startup right and so we were like Mm -hmm. super aggressive like fully white hat but like we had a lot of different strategies running at once you know from founder interviews to 
to other things. And, and that was like a lot of fun. And again, something here, we're still doing it to a certain extent, but not as much as, as I've seen with, with my agency experience. Um, and then, yeah, you probably almost don't have to as a brand like Wayfair. Uh, exactly. Like we, we kind of target it and use content marketing in, in specific ways, but you know, the, the scale of like startup needing, need a startup needing links is, is definitely much different. Uh-uh. Definitely, definitely. And you can, like you said, you can almost drive it through the content you created by creating like highly engaging type content. Nice. Yeah. And then just the, the last one I wanted to bring up was uh, something I, it could have been a mix of where the industry was heading because I've definitely followed like Distilled's ODN, but testing mm-hmm. and experimentation, um, yep. you know, really took another level while I was here at Wayfair, while I've been here. And and so we're always, you know, testing across our site, split testing and trying to A, grow traffic, but also, you know, we'll test if we can learn something about the algorithm that we didn't know before. So how often do you think it's important to test? So let's say, for instance, you found something that was successful or you found something that was unsuccessful. When is it that you renew those um, assumptions? That's a good point because we've had some things that we say around here lately that it's like, oh, we, we ran that like three years ago. Is it still valid? Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's what made me curious. Cause like when you're in that testing culture, you almost like you do the test and you say that's good. But um, I'm always interested in how long, when do people start renewing things and trying different stuff? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have a specific like concrete date on, you know, if a test is older than two years, renew it. You know, I just, you know, use my judgment, like what's on the roadmap right now? Can we fit it in? Um, like we, we yeah. did, I did one quickly. Um, you know, the, actually this is kind of a side topic, which I'd love to nerd out about. Like the history of, of Wayfair is very cool as it relates to SEO. Cause we basically had a bunch of mm-hmm. um, micro sites from 2001 to about 2012 mm-hmm. Um, and so it mm-hmm. went from one microsite to 200 and then it merged all those into Wayfair. Um, but recently got some questions about the value of those. So it was like, you know, we, we did a test back in 2015. We knew which ones were valuable and which ones weren't. But then we we were like, yeah. we need to look at that again. So that that's an example of one that we we felt we could revisit and it was super quick to do, right? It didn't take a lot of, a lot of engineering lift. Yeah, definitely. I love that idea of trying to prioritize the efficiency of it as well. Like how long is this experiment actually going to (laughs) take? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So I'll ask two more questions just because we're nearing the end of the 40 minute mark and I want to make sure we have time for the final question. Um, But what do you think is best in class and what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that you've seen? in terms of e-commerce SEO? You know, best in class for e-commerce is one, like getting the customer experience, right? So, which is, you know, not as SEOs in our control Mm -hmm. um, all the time. So that would be like things like merchandising, pricing, um, you know, customer experience, you know, that, that needs to be like super strong and at par with the market. And then from there, like from an SEO perspective, I think in order of importance, crawling indexing ranking mm-hmm. you know making sure you know certain maybe page types are super unvaluable for seo so 
definitely making the case to block those uh, is, would be important. Um, and then kind of from there, it's, you know, optimize topically, I'd say, and then as well as for internal linking and like tweak and iterate those constantly to find out what works. And then like if you need external authority, ensuring that you're building links over time and then continue to test at scale to understand the levers that impact rankings further. So those would be, that. that's best in class for me. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, then that's it. That's it. That's all you have to do. <laughs> that's all you got to uh, do. <laughs> no, that was awesome. Thanks so much. Okay. So the final question. So um, I've been asking everybody that comes on the podcast, mm. um, what are your three little nuggets of advice for an SEO working in e-commerce or on an e-commerce site? Um, and this can be anything. It can be interpersonal. It can be site-related. Just something that you found that's been useful to you in your career as an SEO. I love this question. Thank you. Yeah, it's been so fun to hear people's answers. They're so different. <laughs> oh, nice. I'm going to, when when this airs and the others air, I'll definitely listen so I hear what others say. Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be cool to compare, like, from the audience point of view, what types of responses people are giving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so my first one would be uh, curiosity. And uh, the first that I I talked a little bit about when I first got into SEO, I remember reading a post by Will uh, Will Critchlow. It it was on Moz. It's like how to learn SEO. And and one of them was Mm. curiosity is your biggest asset. And so that's been like, uh, I think I still have the printout of that article. I've just like um, brought it with me. And when I've changed companies, it's like in my desk somewhere. But uh, I live by curiosity for sure. Um, That's so awesome. Yeah. And so uh, the second one actually is super similar to um, what I, when I looked at your diagnosing technical SEO issue deck is like critical thinking, um, right? Like f- completing an objective analysis to form, you know, a judgment and, and like, definitely really liked uh, your deck for for that reason. I thought a lot of it embodied critical thinking. Okay. So I will ask you one question about your first piece of advice, if you don't mind. Of course. Um, So for curiosity, you've been in SEO for about seven years now, right? Yes. And how do you maintain that curiosity and that level of inspiration? It could be something that I just, that's just, I'm fortunate, you know, I'm very fortunate enough to have like found something that I'm interested in definitely, and that I just continue to want to understand it. And, and I guess I'm, I'm interested in, right. Like, um, th- you know, looking back on the last seven years, things that make me like really excited, right. Like moving rankings, getting those rankings to generate traffic, generating links, uncovering like a technical SEO problem and lifting it. Like those things like all feel so good when, when you uncover those things. Um, and, and right, they they don't happen every day, but like the only way they do happen is if you immerse yourself in it. So I'd say I've always been very excited about uncovering things and that's a huge way to stay engaged and motivated. So beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any thoughts on that? Like what? Ways to stay curious. I think my initial reaction is to some extent, it's a little bit intrinsic, mm. almost that people have to have the passion. Like you said, like you're fascinated by it. It interests you. You like to learn. You like to try something different. And that's almost, I think, 
it's hard to capture in a person, but I think that's just something that some people have naturally. Like it's like passion. Mm. How do you spark passion in a person? Like they have to do it themselves. Exactly. I think too, finding things that you love within the field, which I think SEO, like we're really fortunate because we interconnect with so many different areas of the business that there's always somewhere else to explore. I know that there are a lot of people who in the industry have been exploring machine learning because that relates to SEO in certain ways in terms of like generating text or even like analytics and analytic analysis and stuff like that. So just finding like areas that you love or things that you're interested in that continually keep you interested in our line of work. Got it. Probably that would be what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think your answer was great. It was almost like um, an explorer, like a discoverer or something. Oh, cool, cool. And I guess the last I think is is also very important, um, right? You you have to move and execute. And so I think you know having having the willingness to to just move and and get something done, right? Maybe you're new and starting out, and you like don't really know what to do. It's like you know if you're lucky enough to have a manager under you who's like outlining something like listen and go do what he or she says and then you'll just continue to learn and figure out um, things along the way yeah trying things do you think it's valuable to try things on a smaller scale at first and then expand definitely it's good to start small always i mean and another example would be like maybe there's a big idea that you want to move move forward with but like you know you need to make a case for it internally so you know, thinking of a way to start small and, and get a quick learning to make the case for something bigger is definitely valuable. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining today. It has been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you so much, Brendan. Thank you, Alexis. Had a lot of fun. All right. Awesome. Signing off. Ciao. Thanks for listening to SEO in the Lab. I hope it was super useful. Make sure to check out technicalseo.com backslash insights backslash podcast to get episode notes, transcripts, and some bonus content. Also, if you have any questions or feedback, reach out at seointhelab at merkelinc.com. You can also catch me on Twitter at Alexis K. Sanders. Thank you so much, Hanshen, for intro and outro music. Until next time, this is Alexis signing off. Ciao.